We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Before any architecture project starts, there needs to be a client who has the vision to build something. Once they've committed to build, they'll need some specialists to work through all of the mandatory building requirements. In Australia, these include the local planning scheme, national construction code, and some specific design guidelines. So with all of those requirements being handled by the professionals, what is the client's role while all of this is going on? Some might think that they're just meant to sit back until they're called upon to pay a bill or attend a design meeting. But the client had the vision to have the project built in the first place. So does that mean they only get their money's worth by getting involved in every single aspect of the architecture process as it moves from one consultant to the next? Or would that just slow down the project team while they're trying to achieve the client's aspirations? I'm Daniel Moore, and in today's episode of Hearing Architecture, we've asked architects from around Australia what makes a good client and what a client can do to get the most out of an architect. Getting the best from an architect has a lot to do with the client, which is a lot of responsibility for the client. And if someone has no experience with building, it can be difficult at times to know what the rules are for a client once the project gets going. Where do you start? Where do you stop? How much can and can't you say? Sue Dugdale from Sue Dugdale & Associates lays out what she thinks it takes for someone to be a really good client. A good client, in my mind, I guess, if I was to set down a few points, is number one, is clear about what they want to achieve. And for some, this might be an overarching vision or aspiration, or for others, it might be a financial goal, like for an investment they're making to meet a budget set by their organisation, or it might be very aspirational about creating cultural identity. The second thing I think a good client brings to a process is that they're open to good advice because they'll get good advice from an architect. The third thing I think that a good client brings is that they have a clear idea of their role in relation to the architect. And this can be different for each client and each project. And I think the fourth and pro probably last thing I've got on my list today, thing that a client can bring to a project is that they hold their architect to account. So they're prepared to say, you know, have you done this and question this and can we do more? Can we get more out of this project? You know, give me all the value you can bring to the project. And so that's scary, but it's quite stimulating and can produce really good results. And I, I think because architects have clients all the time, but clients don't have architects all the time, I think a good architect will help a client to be a good client. So possibly guiding them through the, those points I've just made about how to be a good client at the start of the project and establishing good working roles and relationships and communications right at the start. So setting some ground rules, I think. It's a really good conversation for an architect to have with their client very early in a project. That was Sue Dugdale from Sue Dugdale & Associates based in the Northern Territory. Being a good client doesn't mean being a pushover. Sometimes it can be the clients who challenge an architect with a difficult project that can be the most rewarding. Justin Carrier and Stephen Posmus share how working with clients who've pushed them to do good work have produced some great results. So, I mean, I think a good client is one that really sort of challenges us and, and pushes us. And, and we've had clients that, that have pushed us like really hard and it's been good, you know. Um, you just end up in spaces where you don't think you're going to 
be at the end of the project and and at the end of the day it's been really rewarding so you know you talk about uh, clients that just sit back and enjoy the ride well I think you know sometimes you get a bit lazy and you're like yeah okay you know just trust us and let us do do our thing and you know that works and you know you, you, you get projects out but I think when you have a client that's really astute and and really puts you to hold you to task that that that's when you know you're you're you're, you're doing your work <laughs> and and you're can you think of an example where oh yeah i mean uh, uh, the house in shenton park that we did you know so this was the second house that i did did for them the first one was at when i was at a previous um company hillam architects you know so here we are and i was involved in their house when i was 24 or something and that was you know 2001 or something like that and they approached us and I knew, uh, you know, see them walking down the road, I knew that they asked us three times and three times we, or twice we said no and then the third time we said, yeah, okay, we'll do it because I knew what the three years would be like and it was like that, you know, like I'm a pretty easygoing guy but, you know, in every one of those meetings, it's like you, you have to know, you just have to know everything and it's a really hard thing to do as an architect because, I mean, you know, there's such such a wide range of things that you need to great be clients, across. Really good clients. Yeah, and they're really good clients. And we're friends now, and, and we were friends before. So, in fact, that's you know, they said, oh, you know, we're, we're not asking you as an architect, we're asking you as a friend now, you know, and that's when I said, okay, well, we're going to have to do it. Yeah, they're just really astute. And it does challenge you in terms of, I suppose, your ethic, your work ethic and how you go about things. And, and it's really good because, you know, you, you feel like you actually mature a lot as a, as, a, as an architect when clients are that are pushing you. And also in terms of like choosing an architect, I think an anecdote that really brought it home for me was working on a project with another architect and, um, and the client said that the way that she was looking at choosing an architect was looking at the architectural awards five years prior and seeing which projects in her mind kind of stacked up to being a bit more sort of true and and longer lasting and I mm. and that that completely blew my mind never thought of it and I thought yeah you just that's a completely switched on way to think about things that was Justin Carrier and Stephen Postmus from Kappa based in Perth the relationship between a client and an architect is a unique one when a client briefs their architect they're usually asked to describe what practical needs they have and also their aspirations for the project the aspirational side of the project is where an architect's training really kicks in this is because architects are trained to visualize opportunities and design outcomes in a building that go far beyond what a client thought they could achieve before the project started Jeeva Greenaway, director of Greenaway Architects, shares his thoughts on how clarity and trust are two of the most important things that a client can bring to an architect. There is an old adage in architecture, a good project results from a good client. And that is the starting premise and that's reflected very much through my experience in practice is a client who's clear and concise and understands what they want makes life a little bit easier because it enables you to drill down into their needs and unpack that in detail. But it starts with a clear sense and a direction and a vision of what they seek to have. Where it becomes a little tricky is where you have, and we've started in residential design initially, is where you have a husband and a wife and they are actually poles apart in terms of their ambition or their vision or even just their aesthetics. So often we're playing a sort of a mediator role between the two parties to find a way through and what is the shared vision and clients can be idiosyncratic in their requests and their needs and their ambition 
and we play often this sort of role of almost a psychologist to sort of unpack what is actually sought. But I think where you have a preparedness to delegate in some respects the responsibility onto the architect to take that vision and, and extend it and have the trust. So it starts with, I think, trust. Trust in us an understanding that we bring with us uh, a vast amount of experience and understanding and technical know-how and capacity. But similarly, there is that need to have a clear line of communication and checking in constantly and building rapport because you're often going on a long journey. So we have projects where it might be five years from start to handing over the keys. So it's a building that rapport and a mutual respect and an understanding that you know, we're, we're going on this trip together and how do we ensure that your voice is reflected through the project, that we're creating uh, a project that you're invested and engaged with. And if the client is happy, then I'm happy in, in many respects. It's not about me, it's, it's I guess, parking the ego at the door and saying, well, it's not about me necessarily. It's really about how do we realise the ambition, the aspiration, the vision of the client using all our skills that we have and we are the conduit. We are the mechanism to enable them to get what they want. And ultimately it means that, yes, yeah, sometimes we have to have difficult conversations and say, well, you know, within your budget, that's not really feasible. You know, maybe we need to pare back. You know, maybe we need to find an alternate way to achieve that same aspiration. And so it is about managing expectations, I think. That's, that's a critical part. But also understanding that there's a shared vision to create a great outcome for both the client and for the, the city or the, the street or wherever it's located and understanding that you know, there's a number of different domains that we need to grapple with and there's a series of competing forces and we need to develop a hierarchy of importance and you know, come up with strategies to, to realise that ambition. That was Jeeva Greenaway from Greenaway Architects based in Melbourne. It doesn't matter what the size of the project, working with an architect is a collaborative process. At multiple stages of every phase of the design process, the client is expected to comment on the development of the project. This involvement allows the client and the architect to steer the project in a direction that they're both happy with. This can be especially true when a client has experience in this collaborative involvement. Rob McGoran, Director of MGS Architects, tells us about the benefits of working with expert clients and how some client arrangements don't deliver the best results. For me, the perfect client is one who has some expertise as a client. They know what they need to bring to the table around, you know, if it's a house, how they want to live and how they do live in the house. What brings them delight? What are their, both their physical needs but their emotional needs coming from their abode as well? So when I reflect back on the houses that we've done, they've been some of the key drivers of good clients. And then clients who then say, through that, I've given you this emotional brief, if you like, to and a physical brief in broad terms. Now I want you to bring your creative skills and your delivery skills to the table to uh, make that happen. And generally speaking, they've been 
the projects that have been in that space the most successful. At a institutional level, it's having clients with genuine skin in the game, clients who watch your back, uh, clients who have the governance structures in place to implement what they're hoping to uh, implement and good design review processes. We found that invaluable through the, those exercises as well and realistic expectations about what their vision for work will require in terms of a um, budget. But conversely, the worst clients are the ones that subcontract decision making to third parties who have different KPIs, if you like, of what success represents, you know, which might be finishing it as fast as possible for as little initial cost as possible rather than any concept of life cycle cost or the value of considering and making very careful questions at key phases of the work. That was Rob McGoran, Director of MGS Architects, based in Melbourne. Knowing that a building won't stay in the possession of one family or business forever is something architects have to consider. If it's not going to last long, how should they design for the end of the building's life? If it's going to be in use for more than 100 years, how should they design so the building can adapt over time? If the building doesn't allow for the effects of time, then the design might only meet the needs of a limited number of people. Professor Philip Tallis from Hill Tallis Architecture and Urban Planning tells us about the benefits of working on a project with a client who wants to create a result that has long-lasting benefits. What, clearly what makes a good client is that they want a good result, that they've got a respectful uh, relationship to their architect and everyone in fact involved in the project, and they want to do something that has um, lasting value. So that's beyond say a win for profit beyond uh, uh, some sort of tricky approval. They actually want to do something good and make a difference, um, whether it's for them or more generally for the community because we have a lot of clients who, we have a lot of public sector clients, we have uh, as I said a lot of developer clients, we have some private clients but they aren't necessarily doing private houses. So the good clients actually want to do something which is of long-term benefit, which is not just their benefit. And I think that that thing about time, not simply sort of blingy impact, is something that to me distinguishes a good client. So it's very interesting when you talk about, say, doing apartment buildings. I'm going to focus a lot on that because that's been a big body of our work. We've designed you know, around 80 apartment buildings, you know, that will house, you know, two, two and a half thousand families or individuals over the next 50 or 100 years. That's, you're talking that sort of durability of the building time. So I think you've got a social obligation. You need to try to persuade the clients that they equally share that social obligation, obligation to future generations. We've had a limited number of good public clients and I'm acutely aware of the fights that they've had as almost as outsiders within their organisations. But they're a lot of our best projects. And so they, like us, are a little bit the outsider in the process and what they bring, the fights they've got to fight to win through in a hostile environment. I think that they really, in those situations when we work 
uh, really as a partnership and we're aware of their circumstance and they're aware of ours and we help each other that's where I find it extremely satisfying so there's I don't want to embarrass anybody by naming them but there's certainly half a dozen people who spring to mind immediately and they would know who they are after listen to this interview but those people are rare and so I think good clients are rare and that they do have in a sense a, a certain altruism about them and I think that that's a very important thing to have as a professional it's fundamental as a professional that you have ethical standards which aren't simply about your self-interest and so they go to obviously environment sustainability a social contract um, treating people fairly treating obviously everyone you work with fairly I think all of those things are, are fundamental and when you get people who are happy to give away some of those things you're immediately concerned that was Professor Philip Tallis, Director of Hill Tallis Architecture and Urban Planning, based in Sydney. When you say a unique building, it's easy to think that an architect might have designed something that they liked without much input from the client. But the client in an architecture project, and especially the end user, is central in the development of how a building will work and what a building will look like. Andrew Maynard from Austin Maynard Architects tells us about how working with their clients makes their projects better. Every client is different. And um, the ideal client doesn't exist because humans are complex creatures. If it was somebody that just dished out the cash and didn't scrutinise or question, I guess that would be, that would be great. You just get to do what you want. But it's, it's also actually not that fun. We enjoy the engagement. I really wonder what our work would be like if we had the perfect client that left us alone, I think it would probably be quite boring. Like our work's eclectic because of the um, challenges that clients throw at us. You know, none of our clients um, design the buildings for us. It's not as though they're different buildings because they grab the pen and take over. People don't actually, they come to us, don't want to do that. They want an AMA um, experience. But it comes out of the fact that we scrutinise them a lot. What is important to you? You know, not just how many bedrooms and bathrooms do you want. Like, what's your world view? You know, how, how do you live now? How do you want to live in the future? What do you want your contribution to be? How can we help um, deliver that? And what do you like? Show us pictures of buildings and, and show us what you really like in them. Show us what you don't like. I reckon that's the most problematic client, actually, is the ones that just don't like anything. You just can't... Like, we've, we've had to drop out of a... Well, we've had to decline a few jobs where people have just... Just talk about what they hate. I hate that, and I hate that, and I hate that. And it's like, well, OK, we're kind of... We're optimists. <laughs> um, we want to talk about things that bring joy. So uh, I think it really is important to talk about the things that are annoying because if, if we don't get the everyday stuff right I think regardless of how great the theory is behind it uh, we pretty much failed like if they go and grab something in their bathroom and it just pisses them off every day uh, then we're not doing our job but um, so we want to know when there's what they don't like but we also need to know where they get joy. That was Andrew Maynard from Austin Maynard Architects based in Melbourne. Designing a building with special rooms, unique finishes or strategically placed windows is not just for the architect's benefit. These types of outcomes can help a client feel real ownership of their spaces because it's something they get to appreciate every day. 
Dick Jarman from Circumoris Nun Architects shares his thoughts on clients who are willing to play with design and how an asset manager was one of the best clients he'd ever had. Well, I think a good client has to be adventurous. They need to be willing to play. It's not about just creating a, a shed or uh, a box for something else to happen. It, it is the theatre set for the activity. Uh, my partner is a, an actor and she often talks about creating the truth or finding the truth in a role. We often think about acting as pretending, but it's not to her, it's very much about the truth. And I think as a set designer for film and television, as well as uh, an architect, I have the same criteria that I've got to find the truth of the house that somehow is the right context for that character that inhabits that. And, uh, but I think the, the direction is two ways. It's not just creating one which momentarily captures who you are now, it can also shape who you want to be. You create a space which can help make you become something else. I think it can be terribly empowering. So I'd really encourage clients to be adventurous and playful. And I feel that, that a number of people, when by the time they get to building a house, it's too late in a way. When we grow up, there are plenty of us who have these dreams of secret rooms, of the Wunderkammer behind a bookcase that opens, or a secret door, or something in a house. But when we actually get to build the house, so few do it. They've lost the, the wonder of a child and that, that joy of, of mystery and creation. And to me, I think the best clients are the ones who somehow retain that and willing to, to take a risk and not be uh, just mainstream and trying to create Instagram posts but the ones who are trying to you know, tease out something a little bit more special. The best client I ever had was a hospital uh, asset manager in Singapore. They were great because they look at the project over a hundred year lifespan. So many people and businesses and institutions purely look at the capital cost and the initial make up of the building. Whereas asset managers know that they're going to have to look after this entity for a hundred years and so they make decisions which make financial sense of building it properly to begin with, of making it sustainable, maintenance issues as well as energy consumption. So they build some of, I think, the best buildings and understand how to build well and that it actually is, uh, you know, in their financial interest to do that. That was Dick Jarman from Circumoris Nun Architects based in Hobart. When the design phase starts on a project, that's when an architect might suggest some items that are a little out of the ordinary. Even though some of these suggestions might seem like they've come out of left field, they're being suggested so that the result is something really special. Some of these special suggestions can create really positive experiences within a building that you might not get everywhere else. Rod Simpson, the Environment Commissioner for the Greater Sydney Commission, shares a story about one of his previous clients who were a little sceptical about some of Rod's architectural suggestions. The best client we ever had was a client that lived um, in a remote area in the state and had a small successful business and had purchased a, a small terrace house in Paddington. And this client was a man and wife getting on in age. They had adult children and they wanted to have a, a nice place in the city that they could visit and maybe their kids could live there for a while. Anyway, we, we suggested that there was nothing better than having an outside bath so you could lie outside in the bath and look at the stars in the middle of Paddington in your private courtyard. 
and that even better than that, that you could walk across the courtyard in the rain and then get into a hot bath. Um, I think it's fair to say that the, uh, the husband of the client was um, a fairly uh, rough and ready sort of country type, I think it's probably fair to say, and he was, uh, as you might expect, pretty dismissive of that. Anyway, they trusted us sufficiently to uh, let us go ahead with the project and we undertook the project, communicated by phone and fax as it was in those days, and actually had very little to do with them until they turned up for the occupation. And of course he was a bit dismissive of this outside bath, which we had handmade tiles around the walls of out in this courtyard. Anyway, a couple of months later, the feedback came back. He just loved lying in this bath at night, looking at the stars in the middle of Sydney. And this is, you know, a couple of decades ago. So the point there was that took a bit of convincing. <laughs> but I think that's, that's what it is. I mean, as an architect, that's, there's a number of skills there. One is recognising the potential, obviously. One is engaging in someone with the imagination, uh, convincing someone, but also drawing from that person because actually that desire and willingness was in there. It was just needing to be recognised and there was a whole other aspect in this man that, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it was totally transformative or anything, but it was really something that, that he got an immense amount of pleasure out of, which was something that we enabled. That was Rod Simpson, the Environment Commissioner for the Greater Sydney Commission. The architecture process is unfamiliar to pretty much anyone who isn't an architect, so it's inevitable that clients will need to ask questions along the way. Feeling comfortable about asking an architect questions can be the difference between a good and bad architectural experience. This is why someone might work with an architect who's in their family, but that doesn't mean it's always smooth sailing. Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood share their thoughts on connecting with clients and when working with family goes well. All clients are excellent. So that's the aim of the universe, you know. But there are some clients who are a better personality fit, have a closer philosophy and respect your ability as professionals to do work. I think as architects what you learn with experience is, is how to filter out the clients who are less of a good fit for you and who is more of a good fit and you aim to attract those clients who are a good fit and who you want to work with and you work with well. That's probably the main thing I'll say on that topic. Working, the last question which is about working with family, I think that depends on who you are and what your personality is and what your relationship with your family is like. You know, family members can get caught up in preconceptions about you, what their expectations are, what your birth order is, what their obligations are to you, their level of respect and communication protocols might be breached on a regular basis. So if you are going to work with family, I think you have to clearly understand what that is going to be like before you get into it. Yeah, I've got to agree. <clears throat> family um, can be good to work with. Um, I can say that from experience uh, and they can also be pretty difficult uh, and it comes down to how much they value your advice and how much they're willing to listen as opposed to micromanage the process which can get um, a little frustrating. But to go back to the earlier questions, so design 
for us is a journey between architect and client uh, and it's a relationship that needs building and it requires listening, deep listening, and it requires respect both ways. A good client understands the expertise an architect brings and will listen to their advice. So clients should choose an architect who is philosophically aligned, whose body of work and advice they respect and who they think they'll get along with well. That was Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood from POD, based in Queensland. When working with an architect, it's important to remember that the architect is sometimes providing a service on the client's behalf. So the design result is created through the combined efforts of the client and the architect, and not the architect alone. Lee Hillam from Dundon Hillam Architects tells us about her ideal client and how a client can help make a project move smoothly. We did have an ideal client, also links to another question about whether we should work with family, but I, we did do a house for my sister and, and her husband years ago. It was one of our very first projects. And my sister um, is a professional. She has her own area of specialty that's not architecture. And what we found is because there was a level of trust between her and, and us, and also because she knew what she was expert in and what she wasn't expert in, and her areas in science, like she not not kind of creative, didn't understand architecture at all. She was just really good at, um, or how we would say, doing her homework. We'd say, now you have to make a decision on this. And she'd say, okay, what are my options? And you go, you've got A, B or C. And she'd go, all right. You'd lay out the advantages of A, B and C. And she'd go, okay, I pick B. And you go, right, moving on. <laughs> and uh, she was one of the only people we've ever had where um, we set her homework to go and you know, choose taps and tiles. So we say, these are all the things that you're going to have to pick. And most people get very daunted by the, that list. You know, it's very long. And you come back to them a month later and they've picked three things or they've had a little bit of a look at a website or whatever. And she came back to us two weeks later and said, OK, so I've done that. What next? And it, like, it's literally like six pages of things that she had to select. And she just, she just hit it hard and done it all. So, <laughs> so I'd say that she... Um, she definitely would class as one of our ideal clients. And so the other great thing about her as a client is that we get to visit the house all the time. <laughs> that was Lee Hillam from Dunn & Hillam Architects, based in Sydney. If a client has never gone through the building process before, it can be a very daunting task to get started. This isn't helped by how large the financial and emotional investment can be. Due to the amount of time and effort architects put into their work, they also develop a deep connection with their projects. After they've been given the brief, they put in a lot of effort to understand the client, the site, and how to combine that with their previous professional experience. Joe Reese from Ajar Architects tells us about her experience with clients who really connect with their project and choose to come back. So a good client is a really lovely experience. And... Potentially every project has the opportunity to have a good client interaction. Sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I think that for me, the good clients come back. They come back to get more work done. They come back, they're friends. You have ongoing interaction with them. And that's architecture in, really becomes a lifestyle, I think, in the end, where it's, you can't sort of entirely put it down and walk away from it, no matter where you go and what you do. But really the essence of what makes a good project and a good client is that there needs to be a connectivity spark between the architect and the client and the project. 
So if you have that great connection and there's some kind of energizing aspect of it, it really is evident to everybody. So for me, I've had some owner builders and I've had clients that have had various builders and they've kept coming back to me to do future bits of their project. And they really have a good place in my existence. You know, they're projects that I feel good about. They're not the most expensive, they're not the most elaborate, but they keep coming back to talk to me and I enjoy working with them. And they really like their buildings. And, and it's the same with return commercial clients. You know, I have some clients that come back to me over and over and over for their different office design spaces. It's a good working situation and we have a level of understanding. There's that connection. So I think that is what makes a good client and the impact on the design is huge. You know, if, if it works, it all flows beautifully in every respect. So it makes a massive difference. And whether the client should just sit back or get involved depends on the personality of the client, I think, and also the type of the project the type of project that it is. Some clients have to get involved in the nitty gritty because they're owner builders and they're doing the work. That's fine, that's good. Others, not so, and they might prefer to pay someone to do the whole lot, but they've taken ownership of it and they've helped it grow and we've talked about everything. So I think one of the things that really helps that spark of connectivity to work is if the owners and the clients and the the people involved in the project and the architect can lose a bit of the baggage that restricts their ability to engage with the project. Whether it's ideas, you know, maybe an architect has a preconceived idea of the way the building should look before they've even really found out what the client wants <laughs> or needs. Or maybe it's the client who has an idea that they want the building to look a certain way or they're fixated on having a certain space that they actually may not need. So it's baggage, but there's also, when it comes to family members, I think the relationship baggage can really get in the way of a good project. That was Joe Reese from Ajara Architects based in the Northern Territory. The classic representation of an architect in movies and books is traditionally a middle-aged male, probably wearing a skivvy and wearing black framed glasses. This archetype might have influenced a lot of people to hire architects who fit this mould when they're about to start their own projects, but some of Australia's most accomplished architects don't meet any of those prerequisites. Yvette Breitenbach, director of Morrison and Breitenbach Architects, shares a story about one of her first clients who specifically wanted to work with young architects. Oh, we had a wonderful, wonderful life experience with uh, the most amazing client. He was a wealthy stockbroker in the States, lived in the States. He had acquired a historic um, dwelling on the California, the Big Sur coastline. He randomly, by a, an amazing sort of set of coincidences, came a, across us. So Morrison and Breitenbach, at that stage, we were, we were young, we were unknown, and he decided on the basis of a vision that we drew up over an Easter weekend and sent to him, he decided we were the architects for him. He could have afforded to go to 
any architect in the States. He went to us and we said to him, why? And first of all, I think what he didn't say was he didn't believe that we would get planning approval for, for what he wanted to do. And we did. <laughs> so that was wonderful. But his answer was very interesting. He said, if you employ someone in any sphere who has just completed their doctoral thesis, proving something, they will have a vested interest in following that path. However, if you employ people who are at the start of their careers, they actually haven't got a particular theory to prove, a particular standing to prove, they've got everything to gain. And he effectively employed us to really think broadly. He wanted the freshness of youngsters and it was very, very interesting because he was very ethical. We noticed people who came into the team just be a little bit unethical, maybe just in the sense of thinking that, well, here's a person with money and uh, we can get away with a little bit that maybe they wouldn't have tried and they quietly were disappeared from the team. We were scrupulously ethical as we always are and with that came the benefits of um, flying to Japan and meeting a living artist treasure to help him choose stone, flying our son who was born during the, you know, the, the course of the project, it, it, to join, you know, we've traveled everywhere as a family, spending a summer actually doing some paving on this historic site. We had the most amazing, he was the most amazing client and we had the most amazingly enriching life experience. Not necessarily the most lucrative, but absolutely satisfactory for what we did and the most amazing life experience. That was Yvette Breitenbach, Director of Morrison and Breitenbach Architects, based in Hobart. It's a really good idea to research some architects' work before you engage them. The reason being that if you like the work they've already done, you'll probably like what they come up with for your project. When you meet with an architect, you'll find that most of them will ask a lot of questions, and I mean a lot of questions. This is because architects are trained to aim for the goals that their clients want to achieve, and the chances of this happening get stronger the more an architect knows about the client, the site, and the project. Peter Stutchbury tells us about his relationships with clients and how getting to know them is vitally important when he's engaged to design for them. When you say what makes a good client, I'd say what makes a good architect. And a good architect is a good listener. You know, and a good architect is a good assessor of people. You know, they can look at someone and within one meeting they can understand a lot about that person. I spent two hours with two clients yesterday just talking about nothing, you know, talking about like leather belts and who makes them and talking about boots and where I get my boots from and all sorts of stuff. But I was talking a lot more than that. I was finding out what they knew about things and what their general knowledge was and what their preferences were and what materials they liked and all that sort of thing. I look at their bookshelves and see what books they collect in their art. 
your relationship with the client is is to a large degree up to the client but you're the one opening the doors you're the one saying oh how do you live you know what are your preferences in life oh i don't want to talk about that oh okay i can't do a house how can i possibly do a house for you it's like making a suit for a body and not having the body if i'm going to do a house for you i have to know who you are how far i can push you and how little i can push you why i can push you what you like and don't like you know? and my clients love that because that's what they want. They didn't come to me for like a showpiece. They came to me for something that was going to take them to places they've never been to before. They want, they want to, you know, they want to be proud of where they live. They want to be connected to where they are. They want a building that sort of hugs them every day. They want, to, they want to feel like when they open the door, it's not something foreign, it's something that they have complete understanding of and passion for. You know, they want to invite their friends around and their friends to say, wow, how did you possibly think, you know, where did... And they can tell every story. They can tell stories about the floor and stories about the ceiling and stories about the form, you know. So these people I saw yesterday, for instance, I've already seen four or five times, you know, for at least an hour and a half every time, you know, and, and now I organise yesterday because we're the, we're the sort of ringmasters. We're the ones sort of saying, come here, do that, you know, we're in charge. And it's not like a doctor where you just get like one visit. You get like as many visits as you like. You get to walk through their house, open their cupboards, look at their personal things, you know, it's full on. And you've got to take it seriously, otherwise you won't do a good house. And I'm surprised how many people sell their architect design houses, and I believe it's because the architect didn't listen. So people often ask us, why is every house different? You know, they're all like so different. Because the clients are different, and the site is different. I mean, the two most important things, the client and the site, why would they be the same? <laughs> it's like going into a rainforest and going to a desert. The, the vegetation is entirely different because the climate and the weather and the landform and the geology, they're all different. It's the same with the site and the client. That was Peter Stutchbury from Peter Stutchbury Architects, based in Sydney. Kylie Shunans from Fratel Group also shares her thoughts on how being able to really understand the client is paramount for her work. I think that the whole design experience with an architect, it's a very personal decision. I always tell my clients that I need to get inside their head in order to fully understand and appreciate what they need to achieve from a design. And you need to be able to have that connection because it comes very much down to the open and honest communication that you have with the architect. And what happens at the end of that is the built form that the client will be experiencing every day, particularly if, it's, if it is a residential or if it's, if it's a public building or a civic building like we're doing as well, then that it's very important about understanding as the architect who is the end user and what is it that you're trying to achieve from that project at the end of the day because 
the end game is the most important thing. The process and how you get there is also just as important. But at the end of the day, you could spend a lot of time designing a, a project that never ends up being built if you don't have the right relationship between architect and client. So, and, and there's responsibilities from both sides. As an architect, you need to really understand the client's brief, their budget, and what they want to achieve at the end of the day. As a client, you need to understand how to explain yourself to your architect, have a really clear idea of what you want to achieve at the end of the day, and be prepared to give proper direction and be able to speak up if you feel that the project isn't moving in the right direction for you. But being able to listen and communicate are probably the two biggest keys of any project because if both of those things don't happen, then the project won't be a success. The best clients for me are those that we have a relationship built on trust. The clients are entrusting the architects often with one of the biggest investments that they are ever making in their lives. So there, there has to be the biggest level of trust there for them. With that trust comes communication. And if you don't have those elements, then it's just not going to be successful. So really having that, and that, that I mean, that's the basis of, of any great team and, and project that's carried out. But you have to think about the fact that you are responsible as an architect for spending a significant amount of your client's money. And you have, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes with that. And so you could have the most amazing ideas in the world, but if they can't be constructed for the price that they need to be, then there's a level of trust that gets eroded and broken down. So you need to be able to ensure that you can maintain that. And so, yeah, for me, the best clients are definitely those that we have a, a, a relationship built on trust and we share the same vision for the project because together we can actually work together and do pretty amazing things. I've worked with a whole range of different clients throughout my career. So private clients, residential clients, commercial clients, not-for-profit organisations, listed companies. and. I think that it doesn't really matter who or what the size of the organisation or the client is that you're working with. It all still comes down to the same basic principles of communication, listening and trust and vision. Really, it's those, it's those four things that they need to share. That was Kylie Shunans from Fratel Group based in Perth. If you've decided to use an architect to design your project, there are a bunch of ways to assess who is the right person for the job. They could have a great portfolio of work, glowing references, tons of awards, or a large office with dozens of staff. But choosing an architect doesn't always need to be a complex process. Hugh Maguire from Maguire and Divine Architects shares a story about the first time he met one of his favourite clients. I have to say a current client of mine is the best client. The story goes that they were shopping around for an architect, five or six 
architects came to see them. And they love telling the story that in the first meeting, uh, we, I simply sat with her on the veranda and had a cup of tea and gazed at the view and talked about life. And in that first meeting, I only asked questions. I didn't tell her anything. At the end of that meeting, she hired me because of that. And from that moment, over the, the following year, she's told me how much she's enjoying the process. Um, so she's given complete trust and along with the, site, the projects under construction, two weeks from completion now, her attitude to trust and encouragement has uh, created a successful project. And I suppose that's, that's being a great client, understanding her role in facilitating, I guess, a good outcome. Without architecture clients, there would be no architecture work. So it's safe to say that architects love their clients. Before a project starts, it's important to know what you'd like to get out of the project and make sure that's included in your brief. All architects are different, so some will love the idea of your brief and others won't take it on because it's not right for them. The way to get the most out of your relationship with an architect is to be honest about what you want how much you want to contribute, and to make sure everyone is aiming for the same outcomes. By working with an architect in this way, there's a good chance that everyone will be part of the process and something remarkable will be built within the client's budget. This has been episode four of Hearing Architecture. Thank you so much for listening. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. This episode of Hearing Architecture featured the following guests. Damien Madigan, Rod Simpson, Sue Dugdale, Peter Stutchbury, Justin Carrier, Kylie Shunin, Stephen Posmus, Shanine Fanton, Belinda Orwood, Professor Philip Tallis, Rob McGoran, Joe Reese, Lee Hillam, Dick Jarman, Yvette Breitenbach, Jeeva Greenaway, Hugh McGuire and Andrew Maynard. The interviews in this episode were produced around Australia by Imagine Committee members. Jamila Jahangiri, Daniel Hall, Kirsty Voles, Callie Marnane, Chris Morley, Sam McQueenie, Reese Curry, Brad Weatherall, Jess Beaver, Bede Taylor, Rebecca Webster and Daniel Moore. The AIA production team was Daniela Crawley, Stacey Rodder, Monique Woodward and Tom McKenzie. Produced by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.